You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, hello, hello, hello. All right, all right, here we go. That is a, that is a very interesting question. Uh, so I know for me, I said LeBron James, you know, how high can I jump? How high can I, you know, play basketball or whatever? Anyways, uh, if you're new here, uh, I want to welcome you guys to Rail City. Uh, my name is Nathan, and I'm one of the leaders here uh, at the church. And so, yeah, if, again, if you're new, I just want to, uh, yeah, welcome you here. And we're just so glad you're able to join us uh, this morning. Our church have, uh, has been going through a series. Uh, we see on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching um, in which it relates to this idea of a new humanity. So we see here a new humanity. And when it comes to uh, a new humanity, he kind of gives a description of what it looks like, right? He invites us into a picture of what a new humanity looks like. As a new humanity, as people who are part of God's kingdom, we get to see what this looks like. Now, last week, Pastor Marty preached on lust and divorce. And before that, Pastor Sam preached on anger. And uh, way back when, Cam, Pastor Cam preached on, on being salt and light. And so there's these different descriptions that we see uh, of what it means to be a part of the kingdom. And so for us today, we're going to enter into a passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 48. That is Matthew 5, verse 38 to 48. So if I can ask everybody to stand in the honor of reading God's word, if you're willing and able, we will enter into this time of reading. So again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Lord Jesus, as we enter into this text, I pray right now that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us today. That as a kingdom people, as a new humanity, may you just paint us a picture of what this looks like by your grace. I thank you for being a God who is with us, who hears us. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> now, at first glance, uh, this, this is a very challenging passage. 
All right, first glance as we take a look. Jesus says things like, do not resist the one who is evil, or to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. Now, this is a challenging statement. There's a weightiness that we feel. Now, what is the call? Are we called to be doormats, you know, just to be walked over, to be cowards, to let evil slide? Is Jesus naive? Does he know what he's talking about? Does he understand how the real world works when it comes to evil and how things are, are, are played out when it comes to that? Does he understand? Now, when it comes to reading this passage, there's actually something more that's going on in here. There's something deeper that is happening. But before I enter into the text, there are three points of wisdom that I think is, uh, is worth mentioning when it comes to wisdom. Three points in the Bible we can find on wisdom. The first is this, is the biblical wisdom we see to protect oneself. So throughout the Bible, we see different scenarios where uh, if someone is facing some sort of harm or potential death, they don't stand and take it. They actually flee. They, they run away from danger. We see this with David after, you know, David, the one who slayed Goliath, when, when King Saul is coming after him, right? He doesn't stand the mistreatment. He doesn't stand there to be killed by him, but he actually flees. We also see this with Joseph, right? Jesus' father. When King Herod is going after all the kids and, and killing the babies, uh, an angel warns him in a dream, hey, flee, head over to Egypt. Avoid the danger that is coming to your child. Joseph doesn't stick around, but he actually gets up and he goes. We also see this with Paul. Paul preaches the gospel in a city and where people are trying to stone him. He doesn't stick around, but he actually hops over a wall and he escapes. And lastly, we see in Proverbs, it tells us this, that the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. There's trouble ahead. Hey, you cross this street. You don't enter into danger. So that's one point of wisdom that we see within the Bible. A second point of wisdom that we see is this, is the wisdom for higher authority. And what I mean by this is two examples again we see. So Paul is beaten uh, by the Roman soldiers for preaching the gospel. This is totally unfair. So what he does is that he appeals for a trial. He asks, hey, this is not right. Take me to a court where we can settle this fairly. Later on, he would write in Romans 13 that God has placed governments in authority to limit evil and to bring about justice. So to rely on governing authorities is a part of biblical wisdom because God has ordained uh, these governments to limit evil and to bring about justice. It's okay to call the police if you're in danger, okay? <laughs> Not only do we see a wisdom for a higher authority, but we also see the wisdom uh, to defend uh, oneself or to defend others. So for self-defense or to defend others. So the Bible does not stop you. It does not prohibit you for self-defense or to defend one's family. In Exodus, there was a law that was given in which uh, there's, there's a right, actually, for one to, defends, uh, to defend their household against a thief. But the expectation is to restrain themselves, right? Not to be quick to use deadly force, only under forced and extreme circumstances. That's allowed. Now, going back to the verse, okay? Do not resist the one who is evil, and to love your enemies, and to pray for those who persecute you. These verses, don't throw out these biblical considerations, okay? These points of wisdom that we have. If you're in a dangerous situation, it's okay to flee. It's okay to call the police. It's okay to defend your family. In fact, these are important things that we should do. 
This is important to keep in mind as we enter into the passage. Now let's go through the text. There are two main sections that we see when Jesus talks about uh, these two, you know, sort of divisions in this passage. The first one is that he'll go through an Old Testament saying, and then he'll say, but I say to you. So the first Old Testament uh, quote that he has is this. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now the phrase an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is found all throughout the New Testament, or not New Testament, Old Testament, in which we see it in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and in Exodus. Throughout these passages, it's designed to limit revenge and to actually bring conflicts before a court, okay? And the reason why it's designed this way is because the human heart generally doesn't do what's fair, but they go above and beyond, okay? It's not enough to do what's fair. You just need to get a little bit more at someone who's offended you just to keep it not only even, but you know, you just want that sort of like revenge. So if someone cuts you off, it's not enough to honk. You gotta tail them. You gotta cut the road and just give them the death stares you line up with their window. This is me, okay? It's not enough just to be like, whoa, what do you do? You gotta do like above and beyond. And so the idea is this, is that people tend to go overboard when it comes to personal justice. So in order to limit revenge, in order to do what is fair, here comes the law. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This is the law. This is the context of what they understand uh, when it comes to justice and fairness. And so not only do we see this, but Jesus actually, uh, he, he sort of challenges it. He, he adds this connecting point of, of clarifying and connecting it to the heart of God. So he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. Now, what does resisting one who is evil, what does that look like? He goes on to explain it in four examples. Four examples in the next verses. And so, let's see the first example of what it means to resist evil. If anyone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to him also the other. Now, a shallow reading of this, just a surface level, tells us, are we just to take a beating? Are we just to, 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 let, to be passive and to let things happen to us? Do we let it slide? How do we address a slap in the face? Well, the act of being slapped in the face in this context is a symbol for a backhanded insult, to take a jab at someone's dignity or character. It deals with receiving a comment that targets your character and is aimed to put you down. So it's not so much a physical slap, but instead it's an insult. These are the words that Jesus is saying. Now you guys can relate to this, okay? Maybe some of you, you work in trades, okay? Insults are just the air you breathe when you work, all right? Maybe you have a, a relative who's always throwing jabs at you. Maybe when it comes to your weight or being single, we all have that relative. Maybe you finish school, hey, it's summertime, but you can think of a bully who's always putting you down. Some of you play in a church soccer league in which the other team isn't as Christ-like and the trash talk is just rampant. Time and time again, we guys know this. We know what it's like. We face these backhanded insults, things against our character, things that are challenging to hear, things aimed to put us down. But what's our response? What is the response? How do we carry ourselves? Well, the way in which kingdom people do it, it's not through throwing an insult back, and it's not even to be passive and just letting it happen. But instead, it's to turn the other cheek. And to turn the other cheek is a symbol for how we are to carry ourselves, even though insults are being thrown on us, to carry ourselves with an attitude of love and grace. It's to carry ourselves in an attitude of love and grace. 
And it's active. It's not passive, but we do something about it. The way in which we respond is through love and grace. Now, this is the first example. The second one we see here is this. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, a tunic is an inner garment. It was like the first layer of a shirt within someone's outfit. And this person uh, that is being sued uh, is suing unfairly. They're taking the basic needs of someone away from them. Everyone needs a shirt. That's obvious. But Jesus has this startling claim and where not only do you give your shirt, but hey, give your cloak as well. And the cloak was of equal importance. It was something used uh, in which people can cover themselves as they sleep. And so you can't go outside without a cloak. Everybody has a cloak. But what Jesus is saying here, the point being, that someone who seeks to take your possessions, someone who seeks to unfairly mistreat you and take away some of the items that you have, it's not to hate them. It's not to get back at them and want more. But instead, it's to be active and being generous. The response, again, is holding a position of love and grace. Despite the unfair treatment. This is the second example. We see in another example, in number three, how to resist evil. If anyone forces you to walk one mile, go with him two miles. Go with him two miles. The act of being forced to walk is typically done in a military context. So the Roman soldiers were the powers at the time, and they had the right to ask any citizen to do work for them. Hey, you have to carry my backpack. You got to carry my equipment. We got to walk one mile. And so it was very common for Roman soldiers to ask Jewish citizens to carry their stuff for them. Now it was unfair because usually they'd be mistreated and they'd be exploited because of the power that they have. Time and time again, they were treated unfairly. Now the general response would be to outright defy and to say, no, I don't want to do that. Or to, yeah, you know what, I'll do the mile, one mile, but in me is bitterness and resentment. You're the enemy. You're forcing me to do this. I don't want to do this, but I have to. Again, Jesus challenges this. Again, we don't respond in passivity. We don't just do the one mile. We don't do it with bitterness. But he calls us to go forth in a servant's heart. Again, fueled by love and by grace. To the person who burdens us, we don't just give them whatever they're asking for, but we go above and beyond to serve them wholeheartedly. This is the third example of resisting evil. The fourth, Jesus goes on to explain, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, to those who beg are those who are poor and those who borrow in this context are borrowing in where they are not they say that they can pay it back, but in reality, they would never pay it back. Now, what's tough is that when Jesus is communicating this, if someone is in distress, if someone is in need, we don't turn a blind eye. We look at them. We give them what they need. And not only that, but we, we seek to be generous in that. Now, do we give without discernment? No, again, we have to be wise about this. I remember going to Union Gospel Mission down in Seattle, and when they were giving us a, a training session on how to care for the vulnerable, uh, a point that they said is that every time you come across someone who's in need, never give them money. Don't give them money, because there's going to be a high chance of that money being used for substance abuse, like drugs or alcohol. And so we give generously, but we give wisely as well. 
We are called to be a people to meet the needs, not only just the surface level needs, but the needs that go beyond that. We're called to be people who are generous. Now throw all these themes that we saw, right? To turn the other cheek, to, to give when people are asking you to give, to walk the extra mile, to give your tunic. Throw all these themes, what is the unifying factor? What is the thing that connects them all together? What is the essence of resisting evil? Again, the common theme is not to be passive. It's not to ignore evil. It's not to repay evil with evil, but instead, it's this. A new humanity overcomes evil, not by evil, not by passivity, but by God's goodness. A new humanity overcomes evil by God's goodness. It is by God's goodness. We repay evil, not with evil, but with goodness. It changes the dynamic. It reveals that our behavior is not determined by evil, but by God's goodness. That is the defining factor of what we do in these situations. A new humanity is rooted in the goodness of God. And not only are we passive, but we fight back against evil. And the way that we do it is through his goodness. It's through his goodness. We fight back and we fight back by God's goodness. E. Stanley Jones, who is a missionary, he has this quote on the Sermon on the Mount. And I think what he says is very profound. The temptation is to use the weapons of the wrongdoer to fight on his level. Don't do it, Jesus says. For if you do, hate will beget hate and you'll find yourself in a vicious cycle. Get out of it by rising to a higher level and by using higher weapons. You choose the battleground. You choose the weapons. The opponent is compelled to stand on grounds in which he is not familiar and to face weapons that he does not know how to face. It is to turn the other cheek, the cloak, the second mile that does the trick. It is the plus that turns the scale. Passive resistance may reveal nothing but weakness. Listen to this. This active resistance of love reveals nothing but strength. So when you go back into your context, to the coworker, to the family member, to the bully, Jesus is calling us to resist evil, not by being passive, but by being active in God's goodness. He invites us into a new way of being human. A new humanity overcomes evil by God's goodness. It's by God's goodness. As we continue on in the passage, we see a continuation of this. Not only does a new humanity overcome evil by his goodness, but a new humanity loves their enemies. A new humanity loves their enemies. And again, we see this statement that Jesus quotes the Old Testament. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now what's interesting is that in this section here, uh, we all know, you know, you shall love your neighbor. This was a law that they would be familiar with. We find this in Leviticus and people understand the idea of loving the neighbor. But what's interesting is that the command to hate your enemy is actually not found within the Bible. So where does this come from? Well, we do see in the Psalms that God hates evil. One of them says this, you're not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. So we see this sort of factors. We see this factor of, yes, God hates evil, and yes, we're called to love our enemies. And with these two factors, uh, later interpretations uh, would develop in where a neighbor was only defined as anyone within the Jewish community. 
and anyone who's outside the community was considered an enemy. And so the reasoning was this, was that if my neighbor is anyone within the Jewish community and anyone outside is an enemy, enemies are evil, God hates evil, therefore God hates enemies. That was sort of the thinking within the day. And so to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy was an idea that uh, would have been common within Jewish thought. But the key thing is this, is that yes, because God is good, he hates evil. But included in that is that his heart is to bring reconciliation to those who do evil. Yes, he hates evil, but his heart is to bring reconciliation onto himself. God loves all people and seeks for them to turn away from their sin and to turn to him. And this framework for a new humanity tells us uh, and actually informs us this is how we love our enemies because God loves people. Furthermore, we see this on how he is impartial in verse 45, for he makes the sun and the rain rise on all people. The sun rise on the evil and the good and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. God lets it rain and he lets the sun shine on all people. There's a common grace that extends to everybody. And this common grace is the hopes that all people would come to him. That the sun and the rain are a means of provision and that people, all people, because they are made in his image, are worthy to be taken care of. The sun just doesn't shine on some people or the rain just shine on some people or the rain shine, the rain fall on some people, but instead it's, uh, it's on everybody because again, God cares for all people. All people are made in his image and are worthy of being cared for and God cares for your enemies. God cares for your enemies, for those who you think in your mind, those who have hurt you, those who have wronged you, those who have, who have caused just an amount of, of suffering within your life. When it comes to your enemies, God cares for your enemies. Jesus mentions that the heart of God is for all people. He asks two, later on in the verse, he asks two hypothetical questions. So in verse 46, he says this, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? Now, tax collectors were the worst of the worst. There are people who betrayed the Jewish community in order to serve the Roman Empire. You see them? You see the cells here? They treat themselves well. They love each other. If you love those who love, if you only love those who love you, they love those who love themselves. So it's like, come on, what, what makes them any different? It's the same thing. There's nothing different, different between you and them. And he goes on to say that if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing to others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So the Gentiles are non-Jews. They were outsiders of the community. They greet one another. You can only greet amongst yourselves. Everybody does that. What makes you any different? The human tendency is usually this, to create groups and to be separated with one another, to see who is in and to see who is out. But when it comes to God, he doesn't see these groups. What he sees are people. He sees people. He sees the person. He sees each person with love in his eyes, again, being made in his image. And as the people of God, we get to join in in what he's doing. He's making a new humanity, kingdom people, people that overcome evil with God's goodness and to actually love our enemies. Now, there's a man named Daryl Davis who, uh, who does this radical thing. And he is known for, uh, for being responsible, actually, of getting 200 members to leave the Ku Klux Klan 
And this was a group that was known for being racist and hateful towards the black community. Christianity, Christianity Today wrote this. David goes to clan rallies. He has invited clansmen to, in, into his home and to visit them. He calls them friend, even as they call him inferior. One film recounts how Davis met the daughters of an incarcerated clan member at the airport and drove him to the prison so that he could visit their father. Eventually, the family noticed that none of the man's clan colleagues were serving or loving them as much as Davis was. Their ideology of hate collapsed in the face of undeserved compassion. And so we have a photo of that up here. That is him. And he's actually shaking hands with the clan member. It's remarkable to see the love that he has for them, to turn the other cheek, to give them the cloak, to go the extra mile. And what is the result of this? He lives out Jesus' sermon and the impact is devastating. The evil of the KKK is destroyed by God's goodness. 200 people leave the group and realize there is a better way. Now, for some of you, maybe you feel this weight of what Jesus said and you just feel like it's impossible. I can't love my enemy. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how much hurt they have caused and how much suffering they have inflicted. And I want to acknowledge that because it is impossible. And the weight seems even heavier in the final verse, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so there's a weightiness in all of this. But something to clarify, multiple commentators would connect this idea of perfection, not to live this like certain standard. Hey, you got to be perfect. You have to never make a mistake. Not this sort of moral standard. That's not the standard that the passage is talking about. Instead, it points to the goal of the Christian life, heading towards God's perfection. Verse 48 tells us the goal is to continually grow in God's perfection. And this growing process shows itself in overcoming evil with good and to love your enemies. And you feel the weight. And not only is it the goal, is the perfection of God, right? The love of God. But it's also the thing that empowers us. And here's the good news. Is that a new humanity's goal and empowerment is the perfect love of God. So not only is it the trajectory in which we're aimed towards, but it's also the thing that drives us, that moves us, that transforms us. A new humanity's goal and empowerment is the perfect love of God. But how does this empowerment work? Well, Jesus preaches the greatest sermon in, the, in, in all of history. And not only did he preach it, but he also lived it out. He was the one who turned the other cheek when he was struck and spat on and mocked. He is the one that went the extra mile carrying a cross that had his garments stripped away from him, who overcomes evil by goodness, by loving his enemies and giving up his life for them. Jesus gave his life up for us. In Romans, it says this, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. He died for us. The goal of a new humanity is towards God's perfect love. And it's also the empowering drive that transforms our hearts. Jesus did these things perfectly and he invites us to experience it. And when we experience his love, his perfect love, we are changed, we're transformed, we're moved in which we're able to love our enemies 
in which we're able to defeat evil by goodness. And we can't do this on our own strength. Hear me, this isn't a moralistic, legalistic preaching that, that just forces you to this impossible and standard. But instead, what I'm inviting you into is to receive the love of Christ that changes hearts. The goal is his perfect love. The thing that empowers us is his perfect love. The Holy Spirit is here, right here, right now, empowering all who follow Jesus. And from this divine love, it empowers us to do the miraculous. And that is to love our enemies. To love our enemies. A new humanity's goal and empowerment is the perfect love of God. Now in the beginning I asked, does Jesus understand all of this in the real world? And I would say yes, because the kingdom of God is the realest world that exists. And that world is breaking forth into this one. And we are invited into it as a new humanity, as kingdom people, as the people of God. This is what it looks like. The perfect love of God is the goal. It's the thing that empowers us to defeat evil by goodness and to love our enemies. We're gonna close in a time of communion and so if I can ask the communion service to, to get ready and to come on up. Every week we remember his love and we do this by taking bread and taking juice, which represents his blood and body that was broken for us. And, something, and some things I just wanna go through is, uh, is this. Well, John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So as the communion uh, servers are getting ready, I just wanna ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd love to encourage you to come forward to remember the love of Christ. But if you're not a follower of Jesus and you haven't made that commitment, if I can ask, you can let it pass. It wouldn't mean much to you anyways. But maybe you're hearing all of this for the first time and you wanna take that step to follow him, to come up, to come forward. Could be a response of saying, you know what? I'm in, I wanna do this, I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna be a part of this new humanity. So if I can ask the communion service to come forward. How it works is that we'll begin in the first row. Once the first row is done and seated, the next row can come and so on and so forth. And so in the middle, we're gonna have packaged uh, bread and juice, but on the sides we'll have the real bread and real juice. And so let's pray. Father, I thank you for everyone that is here. Lord, you know our enemies. You know those who have caused us harm. But right now, I just wanna pray, Lord, that your love would just speak to us right now that you empower us to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, to give our cloak, to go the extra mile, to give to those who are in need. May you remind us, Lord, of your love, that we can't do this on our own strength. We can't do this on our own ability. But it's by your grace we are empowered to do these things. And so Holy Spirit, meet us in this place right now. Remind us again your love as we come to the table and remember how you've saved us may you do so lord just with gratitude just with a thankful heart knowing that you've saved us that while we were still sinners lord while we were still your enemies you died for us may this be our heart posture this morning in your name amen
Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.